Hello and welcome to Nuff Said, the musings of two mid-30s comic-obsessed nerds who liked all this stuff before it was cool. I'm Kira. And I'm Craig. And today's episode is all about The Eternals, which arrived on Disney Plus this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see it in the cinema, so I've watched it now. Yep. So this is the you, first time we're talking about it. It's the first time we've ever talked about it, yeah. actually. So we have nothing, we've never said any words to nope. each other about it before. So, what did you think? Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, as I'm not a huge fan of the comics, I was a bit excited about it because I obviously don't know a lot. So I felt going into it, I could maybe learn things. So uh, I was actually kind of bored <laughs> and felt that it went on way too long. I felt it dragged a lot. The direction, whilst very visually appealing, just didn't really keep me entertained yeah yeah how did you feel uh more or less the same actually i have read some of jack kirby's eternals Mm -hmm. not a lot but i've read some of it i also was quite a big fan of neil gaiman's eternals run which i did read after you recommended it to me before i watched this well because i recommended it because i assumed wrongly that it was actually going to be at least somewhat based on Neil Gaiman's version because it's the most recent kind of iteration of it really yeah it's it's quite a you know well recognised piece of Eternals uh, story writing so I assumed that it was going to be connected to that I mean it's also quite a good introduction to the characters as well exactly me not reading any of it I did try to read them a few times when I've uh, read it on Marvel Unlimited but I've never felt I never felt that I wanted to carry it on. Sure. But I did really enjoy Neil Gaiman's take because, again, because I didn't know much about the characters, it did feel that it set up their world quite well, but also gave you enough backstory to propel the story forward. Yeah. And then leave it kind of open-ended at the end. And also, when you think about when Neil Gaiman's version was set, it was just after Civil War. Yeah. So actually, there's quite a bit of you know, Iron Man features in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of talk about the Registration Act. Exactly. Like and it's, yeah. what's quite nice is that juxtaposition where Iron Man's reason for being in the story is all to do with registration mm-hmm. for post-Civil War. Yeah. Of course, the Eternals issue that they're dealing with is way bigger than that. So, of yeah. course, it's quite trivial but it's quite amusing that it's quite trivial that Iron Man is there just going, uh, yeah, but have you registered? <laughs> yeah. Whereas because they, that's all he was doing back then. Yeah, where yeah. everybody else is going, uh, excuse me, we've got a giant golden <laughs> god standing on Earth that we really need to sort out. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I thought it was going to be based on that. Mm-hmm. Turns out it wasn't. No. it went In almost any way at all, actually. No, they seem to do their own thing. Yeah. Which, again... We'll get to it, but I don't think I'm a big fan of that either, but... No. I don't mind that they did their own thing, but I do I... mind that they did their own thing and didn't do it very well. I didn't like the execution of it. No. It did go on for quite a while, mm-hmm. like you said, and it really shouldn't feel like that. When you've got a cast of ten main characters, essentially... I feel like having that many, though, means that a lot of the characters really didn't get much development. Some no. did, which were probably, I'd say, were the main... Four or five. Yeah. But then the rest of them, it was kind of just like, oh, they're having a bit of a weird time. That's I suppose the, the, the closest we can compare it to in another MCU project is probably Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy was a Again, property yeah. that is not, well, was never really mainstream yeah. in terms of comics, even. 
Mm. You know, they'd always been around, but I, I'd never read any Guardians of the Galaxy before I saw the film. I knew a bit. I mostly knew about uh, Rocket Raccoon yeah. um, and Gamora. I virtually knew nothing about them at all mm. when I watched Guardians. And, of course, now they're very popular, mm. but they weren't at the time. But I feel that's down to mostly James Gunn, really. Yeah. Because he can do quite a good ensemble film, but have each character have their little bit. Yeah. Whereas this, it just felt... But then that ensemble film was still at half of the amount of characters as this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, of course, that was a a fairly unfamiliar property. Mm. Everyone got their kind of their screen time. This was also similarly quite an unrecognised property... But yeah. it's been overloaded with characters that it's meant that no one's really fully got to be able to, to shine. But also, what I felt was really lacking, compared to Guardians, fun. It, yeah. was, really, it was a bit bleak. It, the colouring of the, the whole film was quite muted. There wasn't lots of co- like rich colour or... Apart, apart from the powers... Which were obviously all this the gold thing. Yeah, but even that, because it was the same colour for everyone as well, it wasn't kind of... I guess so, yeah. It just kind of was a bit flat. It wasn't like they... Visually... Scarlet Witch with red or, like, you know... Even, like, bloody Agatha Harkness as, like, purpley blue. Well, yeah, because there's a nice contrast of colours and there's a mix of them. Yeah. It's quite good. And Marvel is very colourful. Yeah. Same with Shang-Chi as well. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Whereas this, everyone had the same colour powers which of course makes it feel like they come from the same source mm-hmm. get that yeah i feel like they were trying to do something different with it where they were trying to make it stand alone but also keep it within the universe but the way they did it was to sort of say all this exposition yeah and that they've always been there yeah but they've got their own thing to do which is why i didn't get involved in things so the plot is basically the celestials made the eternals to basically get rid of their opposites, which are the deviants. Um, and that's why they've been on Earth and looking. they look out for people, but they can't get involved unless deviants are involved, which is why the, yeah. an easy way to say, well, why didn't you get involved in Thanos or all this kind of stuff? Yeah, you know, because we were told not to. Yeah. Because we can only deal with something if it's deviant-related. Yeah, which I did like with the Thanos connection because they said, oh, the reason why we haven't, done these things is because well Thanos got rid of half the galaxy yeah and then that ties into the climax which is clever essentially but... what needs to happen in the end it, you know the objective of, of the eternal they are supposed to help bring about the birth of a new celestial yes celestials are birthed by being seeded into the core of a planet mm-hmm. so you know the, the climax is really hinged around the fact that the celestial is going to break free of the earth but by doing so destroy earth but and they're supposed they need... to be all okay with that because that's how that's how celestials yeah. are born and that's how cosmic balance is maintained. And actually, yeah, because without all... celestials, it says that the universe would just basically perish. and everyone would die. Yeah. So of course, it's you know, it's a it's a fair exchange in the mind of the Eternals and yeah. the Celestials. It's like that... a cosmic scale, isn't it? Of yeah. Balancing. One yeah. planet dies, but that's fine because it saves all the rest of them. Yeah. Um, essentially what happens in this is that the Eternals or some of the Eternals start to realise what the plan is and because they've developed feelings for Earth mm-hmm. because they've been there for so long yep. they start to change their mind plus they also do appear to be humanoid yeah. so they look like humans yeah. as well so they kind of rebel against what their objective of their creator was it's yes. essentially the, that's essentially the plot right? yeah and also it ties into the Thanos destroying heart well erasing half-life in the universe because a planet needs a certain amount of 
life on it before it can be destroyed to birth a celestial. Yes. So because obviously why... there were seven billion people, yeah. and then Thanos got it is, yeah, half of it them. needs to reach a certain number. So yeah. Thanos snapping his fingers delayed the action of the birthing of the, the uh, emergence, isn't it? It's called I think? the emergence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we only actually meet one celestial in it. Who is which is Arisham? Um, Arisham. Who is? I noticed that they seem a lot bigger than they are in the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Because the one that's being birthed from the Earth is the Dreaming Celestial. Yes. Who, in the comics at the moment, I think as well, he just is standing in San Francisco Bay. Yes. I think they've moved him on somewhere, but he's not, like, <laughs> bigger than the planet. No. Because he's on the planet. So yes. he's about, yeah. what, 20 stories high, maybe? Something like that? He's big, but he's not that big. No. It's basically. But then I don't really mind so much that they're bigger, because they're Celestials, of course. They I do like... whatever size that we've, we want. Yeah, I did like that. And I did like the bit where... Because um, I just wasn't expecting it, I think. But when Arisham is talking to the leader at the time, which is Ajax... Yeah. Um... She, you can't see her. She's so small. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we find out as we go on because a lot of the story is flashbacks. Yeah, a lot. about how they got to where they are, why they decided to separate and not yeah do anything anymore. Because in the past, the deviants were, as they know, was just they were gone from the earth. I think. Yeah. And that's why they were like, oh, we can just. Well, do. the theory was that the Eternals had destroyed all of the deviants. Yeah. So the Eternals, on waiting for this plan to reach fruition of the new celestial mm-hmm. they've all gone their separate ways they have lost contact with each other started lives separate and completely unrelated to each other for a while yeah it, um, did, it did come across as well in the in the film obviously that uh, ajax was the one that knew this plan and then she changed her mind about it as it went on she was the only one who really knew the plan from the get-go she informed icarus of the plan before they split up and divided yes but nothing obviously has happened for quite some time at that point. They've all disappeared and scared off to the far corners of the earth doing their own thing. Mm. And, yeah, it turns out that she knew what was happening. And relating it back to Thanos and the blip mm-hmm. is that actually she realised that the people of the earth aren't worth dying. Because... Yeah. They, on their own, without the power of any celestial or eternal or anything to help them along, mm-hmm. they were able to rescue all those people that were yeah. were blipped. So I think there's a kind of a realisation for her that actually the Earth... Is worth saving. Is worth and saving. It's, worth... It stands on its own two feet and yeah. can do things quite amazingly on its own without mm. the need for an Eternal kind of poking them along and helping them invent things or create things or... Yeah, I like as well how... some Because obviously it's this cosmic power they're all imbued with. Yeah. But it's quite... Obviously it's just like liquid gold, isn't it? Yeah. But, the, but I did like how each character had their own ability yeah. that was kind of in a way it was to help protect people or push them in the right direction Yeah. but then as things went on the people some of the people realised well actually we have these powers and they're no use or I can't do what I want to do because what I want to do is help people but I can't interfere yeah. what's the point of having these powers Yeah. because Phaestos can create anything exactly. Druid can control minds and he wanted to control minds to stop them from fighting each other and killing yeah. each other, but he wasn't allowed to. Yeah. It turns out he basically stayed in the same place that they all separated, mm-hmm. and just to protect the people by, yeah, keeping them yeah. from killing each other. Which basically. is, admittedly, he seems a bit 
off the wall and a bit moody. It's a questionable choice because he yeah. is like controlling quite a lot of the time. However, he did do this to, to keep people safe. So hmm. there's an argument for and against, I think. Don't because I think they decide this. Is it the... Here we go. Here's my history, which is really bad. Uh, like, Is it the Conquistadors, yeah. maybe? Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're basically in the forest having a chat. Yeah. But all this war is going on behind them and Druk is kind of like, well, why don't I stop that? And Ajax is like, well, no, you can't because the deviants are here or whatever. Yeah. But then I think even that's the point when they realise there's no deviants around anymore. What are we doing? Yeah. And then they just, some of them never saw each other again until this film. Yeah. Whereas others have hung out and stayed in contact, like Cersei and Sprite. Yeah. Um, I don't... So Cersei and Icarus have this love... That's been going on for like thousands and thousands yeah, of years. Yeah, but I presume that that had stopped when they separated. Yeah. So she hasn't seen him for a few hundred years, I imagine. Which would make sense. Yeah. So that would she's been living in London and. Yeah, so that would fit probably with the the timeline. Yeah, so... because they're together and obviously Thena and Gilgamesh. He's been looking after her because he's the strongest. He yeah. can control her kind of wild. Which again is Swift. another plot point. Is another plot point. Because uh, I'm trying to what it's called now. But it's like a mind sickness, isn't it, or something like that, where she yeah. because she's the greatest warrior of them all, yeah. she can unknowingly bring on this thing which makes her go a bit crazy and she doesn't remember where she's been when she's brought out of it. Well the whole thing about it is that basically she's quite unwell mentally. Yeah. That's the kind of the running thing for quite a lot of the film before they eventually realise that she's remembering what the others have forgotten. Yes. So the big one of the main big plot twists is the fact that the Eternals are not these immortal beings of organic matter. No. They are actually constructed almost on you know on you know a very very super high tech android essentially is what they are. Well, they believe they're from the planet Olympia. They yeah they were told they were from the planet Olympia, which is a comics thing, which is yeah true to the comics. Whereas the MCU have gone in the direction of being. They are, when they say created by the Celestials, they are actually humanoid. I mean, would you call them that? I don't know, like androids or something? But it's, the, it's the closest you could probably call them because they are artificially constructed beings. Yeah, they are artificial humanoids which yeah. were made literally in a place called, was it called the Forge? I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Which is just a massive thing of gears and then yeah. this little, oh, yeah, because their past memories are hidden behind these walls, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. essentially, They've the, the the big twist for the Eternals themselves is when they find out that actually they have done this to other planets multiple times mm -hmm. and Earth is just one in a long line. Exactly, but, but they memories, don't remember it. No, their memories get wiped at the end of each time, so they start afresh. Not quite sure why they have to do that. Was that really made very clear? I think it was. it happened because I believe maybe this has happened before where they've gone... We don't agree with this. Maybe, yeah. Perhaps I think that's, that's happened before, and they probably thought, well, okay, we'll wipe their memories. Yeah. Because we still need them to see and protect these worlds. Yes, that's true. And then we need to also, wipe them again. I also suppose that that's because of the deviance creation, because Arishan talks about yeah. creating the deviance. He couldn't control the deviants, so had to create the Eternals. But yeah. in order to do that, had to create a being which would actually obey mm -hmm. the only way they can do that is by controlling what memories they have yeah all that stuff so actually that that does actually work it's one big celestial mess because basically yeah they, they created <laughs> the problem and created the solution for the problem yeah
which itself is turns out was not really much of a solution anyway. No, and this is why Dina is having her mind sickness is because she's remembering things. Yes. About I think she's remembering them dying and stuff, isn't she? I think she's or being white. Yeah, I think she's just remembering like the past iterations of her life. I guess. She should say things like everyone's going to die or we can't stop it, and it's like okay, well she knows. Yeah, she knows yeah. what happened before. She's terrified of it happening again, and it's sending her into this kind of trance state where she becomes really violent mm-hmm. the only person who can really control her is Gilgamesh so he looks after her for yeah. the most part um, yeah because there's the bit in where the conquistadors are around because she does revert she and then she does them. she flips and starts having a fight with them all doesn't she yeah, yeah. There, is, there is a lot going on in the film there really is but when I you do break feel... it down there's a lot going on but is there too many characters I think there might be I think having ten main characters yeah ha- admittedly out of the ten I'd say maybe Two of the main characters, I suppose, which yeah. is Percy and Icarus. Yeah. They get the most character development. Well, they get the most screen time because you see, you yeah. meet them first. Really. Yes. And obviously, in present day. Since, well, since they got rebooted and then brought to Earth to do what they need to do, um, Cersei's the one that falls in love with the humans most yes. at first as well. Yeah. Because she is completely blinded by how beautiful the Earth is and. She's yeah. always been about protecting them anyway. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, Ajax all along has known, wait a minute, we do have to destroy this world one day uh, one, yeah one day so don't get too attached but with the, obviously with the actions of the Avengers and other heroes yeah they have, she has gone actually no I can't let this happen because we need to protect this this place yeah um, but like I say there's a lot of exposition it's very much in the beginning I don't necessarily have a problem with that because it does create this kind of almost biblical scale which the Eternals kind of yeah, are which I do like that and I like that but it just feels so different from a normal Marvel film. It does. Characters. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take Cersei first. Okay. She wasn't as, like, interesting as she is in the comics. She's more... In the comics, I did remember her being a bit more fancy-free and... Sassy. Yeah, sassy and yeah. a very... Maybe like a more stereotypical New Yorker. Yeah. But she was also, was she like a party planner or something in the Neo yeah, game? Yeah, she was a party yeah. planner, yeah. Because in that one, they don't remember them being Eternals. They think they're just humans, which does get a resolve. Even though Ajax was quite motherly. Yeah. And I didn't mind the fact that they changed Ajax into a woman. I felt that was no, I don't not a bad thing. No. Um, Cersei also, I felt, had that motherly thing to her, which kind of made sense because she became the leader when Ajax was... Was killed. Killed, yeah. yeah. But like you say, she's in, in the comics, she's a lot more sassy. Yeah, and I kind of, I was kind of hoping for a bit of that from her, but we didn't yeah. really get any. Like a single girl in the town kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah. We didn't, she was just a bit kind of too straight-laced, and I kind of found that a little bit, Yeah. dare I say, dull. Her character was just like, oh, I'm in love with Icarus. But I also now love Kit Harrington's character, who we'll get into soon. Yeah, because, yeah. we'll talk about him. Um, Sprite was annoying, but I could get where they're coming from with that. I didn't really find Sprite annoying, but what I will say is that, like Cersei, Sprite was a much more toned-down version of the character from the comic. Yes. If we're talking about Neil Gaiman's version. Talk, yeah, obviously that's the thing we're referring um, to, because that's our yeah. point of call. But um, they did have the same character beat that they do in the comic, yeah. in, that, in that Neil Gaiman story. Yeah, exactly. And actually, um, I quite like the fact that there's this real deep unhappiness with the fact yeah. that... They look like a child. Yes. That's so they can't do anything that adults do, which is obviously what should they do in the film. Just use, like the comic. Yeah, I hate to use this for a phrase, but they're eternally a child. Yeah. Like that 
that is basically not, what she's about because everybody else is an yeah. adult. And not knowing why she was created that way. Yes. So Icarus, we should probably talk Icarus, about Icarus, yeah. Let's go with Icarus. Uh, I don't know if you did the same way my mind works, but when I was watching the film, as it was going on, they go and try and find Ajax. So a deviant ambushes Cersei with Sprite yep. and uh, Kit Harrington's character, Dead yes. Woman, yep. in Camden, saved, you know, by Icarus, mm-hmm. who blasts him with his laser beams. Yes. And that's where the Eternals start to come together and realise that this deviant threat is a bit more far-reaching and not just an isolated issue. Yeah. So then they go to find... Ajax, because that's their first port of call, because she's the leader. Yeah. And obviously when they find her, and she's been obviously killed... She's she's already dead. Yeah. Um, I guess straight away who killed her. Did you? Yeah. I actually didn't. Because the way Icarus is told by Ajax, who he actually went and seen a few days prior to saving Cersei yeah. and Sprite, about the the emergence and yeah. things like that. It's see, and it's shown that Icarus does know about this. Ajax has told him... Yeah. And he actually is all for it. He's very much sticking to the celestial plan. But when they find Ajax on her farm in, I think it's like south, south of... Dakota? It's Dakota. I want to say Dakota. Yeah. South Dakota. Yeah. Um, so when they find her, Icarus doesn't seem... But I felt like Icarus was that very is, much like... That is true. It's a deviant. And it was like, oh, is it though? That, that is true. <laughs> Although I didn't necessarily jump straight to he killed her. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought in my head, I was like, did he have something to do with it? And then obviously you can find out. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he does have a kind of a mutedness through the film where obviously Cersei has been made the leader by Ajax. Ajax mm-hmm. uh, posthumously passes on the leadership role to Cersei. So Cersei yeah. is able to communicate with Arisham yes. herself. Icarus, the only other person apart from Ajax to know the plan, mm-hmm. I think he would have otherwise normally thought he would be the next successor. I did like, though, that he was grief-stricken and he felt that he had no choice, but he didn't want to do it. Yeah. Because he was upset and he obviously carried her body back to her farm. Yeah, so obviously he pushes her off a cliff to some deviants that he's found. Yeah. Um, And that's how he, yeah, he basically frames the death. But I think he was expecting to become the leader, therefore. Yeah. But... Ajax kind of skirts around it and passes it on to Cersei, who she obviously believes also has developed feelings for yeah. the people of Earth, therefore is the leader. Because Ajax changed her mind, who have we got next? Uh, Kingo? Yeah, so, again, comic relief, a character, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I liked Kingo. I kind of like Kingo. Different, very different take on what to do with your eternal powers <laughs> compared different. to uh, all the others who kind of live their quiet lives. He is a full-on Bollywood star. He is, yeah. He's actually the fourth-generation Bollywood star, having been his own father, grandfather, and great-great-grandfather. Yep, as we saw in his posters and his yep. playing and things. That... So he's just kind of played, yeah, that same person through the generations, and he's yeah, yeah doing this full-on Bollywood superhero. Although he does actually uh, divulge who he is to his chauffeur, valet? Yeah. Or is, is he his valet? I think he is. He's a valet, yeah. Yeah, who then follows all these Bollywood. girls around, which is quite funny. Well, he's kind of like because Kingo wants a documentary film made about it, because yeah. ever the marketing man, he's also yeah. trying to, you know, spin this into something. So he turns his ballet into the cameraman, yeah. who is just there 
at every turn. With an alarming array of different cameras as backups because they can yeah. be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Which I do like as well. I think that's really nice. And again, a genuine kind of respect for the Eternals as well because he's very... I really liked he's him. Very, he's very heartbroken at the end, which is quite... Kind of yeah, because obviously he's heard about them because he's been in ballet for like yeah. 60 years. But yeah, Kingo, interesting figure. Mm-hmm. Quite like him. But I do like the actor as well that plays him. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. But at the end, he is the only one of them to actually back out of helping. He just leaves. Yeah. It seems like he's happy to just go back to being Bollywood star rather than intervene in either stopping the Deviants or stopping the Celestial. Well, that's the thing, because he... At that point, Cersei has told everyone that this was always the plan, and he knows that the world is going to end if they don't stop it. Yeah. But he's very much like, I'm not... I think he feels that Icarus is always his superior, yeah. and he didn't want to go against that. But he also didn't want to go against... That's true, because by the time he, but because the time he does leave, the group has already fractured. Yeah, because this happens after Icarus arrives and then tries to basically stop everyone from doing anything. Yeah. And obviously we find that Sprite agrees with Icarus in a way because she's in love with him. Yeah. But obviously because she's a child, he never even noticed her in that way. No. So I feel like Kingo was probably just like, I don't want to get involved because I love all of you. I don't want to take a side. But I'm quite happy to just leave and let the world either be destroyed or saved. Athena we talked about a bit already. Uh, Yeah, I really liked... I actually really liked her. Angelina Jolie, I wasn't expecting to like her really that much and yeah. you know I just didn't really see her ever as being part of the MCU we only really saw how badass she was at fighting which was great to see because you know even in all the promotional trailers you saw mostly the golden stuff was her weapons yeah. that she could make which is cool well, um, it was interesting because she was more of a side character than a, than a main character she was in, yeah in some ways which is kind, I mean, of, kind of nice to watch her being a bit less of a you know the main heroic figure and actually yeah. quite nice to see her being a bit of a background character with a very complex personality yeah I'm hoping they do delve into that when she does return which I mean yeah. I'm sure they will all return eventually but... well they said at the end that they will return so yeah but they haven't greenlit anything yet so that doesn't mean anything. we'll see I think they kind of have to do a second one in order to explore anything more with it yeah I can't see that they just I don't know separate them all out they might seed it more in other films and then making Eternals 2 Oh yeah, I think they'll do that. Yeah. yeah, but I don't. I don't think they'll just kind of intersperse all of it and then not do another sequel. Well, we see where it's going to go at the end, don't we? So we do. Yeah. The next person to talk about is maybe Druig. Druig, yeah. Well, I mean, we talked a bit about how he was the only one who stayed put where they last left off. Yeah. Um, Making again, a weird kind of cult, but also kind controlling, of, kind of like a cult. Yeah. When they reunite, he is very much. I don't want a part of whatever you're dealing, going on with. Yeah. Leave me alone. But and then, they just come around to it. Yeah. Again, though, I think that has more to do with the fact that he's also in love of another Eternal, which is Makari. Yes. In the Neil Gaiman Eternals, Makari was actually the main figure we followed. He was a doctor, wasn't he? He was a doctor. Yeah. Uh, and he was had, had no knowledge until Icarus appears and tells him what he is. Wasn't, wasn't it Chris called Ike Harris? Ike I Harris. Yeah. 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 Because, um, um, yeah, so he was a doctor, and then obviously Icarus trying to restart his memories and that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, Whereas in this, Makari was actually fairly towards the back. Yeah. I quite... I actually liked her. I felt that having a uh, deaf actress player was quite interesting. And yeah, I felt that it was a very... 
cool way of doing it because it just added another layer to the film where obviously she was very outspoken, but yes. she signed everything. Yeah. And it was never seen as like a weakness or anything. It was just this No, is the way that's she very is. true. Yeah. And interesting because we've got, we've just had obviously Hawkeye as well, where we've got yeah. like Echo. Yeah. And to an extent, Clint as well, who is hard of hearing. Partially deaf. Yeah. Yeah. But I liked how that tied into the scenes between him and Echo. Yeah. Even though sometimes his signing wasn't. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually quite a nice character development as well for, for Clint. Uh, yeah. Side topic, but that was quite a nice little character development that he is losing his hearing because, of course, makes sense. if you go through all the stuff you go through, of course something's going to happen. But it's like, you know, the, you're really human. Again, and we'll go off the, the point of the Eternals, but the one, the bit in Hawkeye where I think I think Kate asks if, what what's with the hearing aid or something, and yeah. then you get these little second glimpses of all these glimpses of all the explosions that happened in the Avengers film you're like oh yeah of course well, yeah of course it's gonna happen yeah um but yeah I, I like Macari a lot she was a speedster yeah basically the flash of the MCU yeah. now I guess because it's not Quicksilver yet well there was he died sorry <laughs> that's how much I forgot about Quicksilver because I feel that it was very brief but yeah I just feel a bit bad for Wanda because like again I'm going off topic but they're kind of a team there's always that kind of thing going on. You so. say apologies for going off topic, but maybe the reason is because the Eternals actually wasn't really as gripping as we would have liked it to be. Yeah. Rather than raving about it, we keep branching off into these other things. I feel so, like the theme happened. It's what we were doing in Doctor Who last week. But... It was, but we were still doing <laughs> Doctor Who. So. Yeah, true. Um, Gilgamesh didn't really do a lot. No, and he died fairly quickly too, He did, but I still liked him. Oh, I liked him. I just didn't really get to know him all that well. Yeah, he was more defined by the trait of he was the one that was keeping Thena safe and making sure that her mental well-being was... Yeah, In case was... she flipped out again, he was there to stop her, basically. That was more his character than anything else. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah that was his character, I suppose. Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah, last one, yeah. That is cool. the last one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah, it is the last yeah. one. Um... So I liked his character. I liked his character. We got actually probably the almost the most amount of backstory and like personal life with him than we did with anyone. I actually quite liked. Yeah, I liked it too. I know I've heard people online say that they were a bit like, oh, they just shoved him into that to make him have some sort of character break. And I was like, well, no, it makes sense because he was there with the inventions to help people become yeah. the best people they could be yeah and then obviously World War 2 happened and they created the atom bomb and then he was there at Hiroshima wasn't he yeah with Ajax yeah Ajax found him yeah. and they had a bit of a and he was out. devastated at what his help had created yeah and then uh, he disappeared so recently he has a husband yeah he has a child yeah which must have been not that long they've been together I suppose because the kid was what a teenager no. A bit younger? What film were you watching? I've not seen it since like cinema ages ago. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Was he like was he like eight or nine? He might have even been younger than that. If I well, he's the one that calls Dick for Superman, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's he right. He must have been like six. I don't know. I didn't... Teenager. <laughs> I knew he had a son, I just didn't remember a lot about him. <laughs> Get a broken bike, that'll that's what I remember. Yeah, he did have a broken bike. <laughs> and then obviously Pastor's husband was a bit against him. Helping the Eternals. Well, like, he kind of he he wasn't though, which I I quite liked. He obviously knew about it, but he said, "Oh God, you are right." Yeah, sorry, he didn't, did he? He was the one that said you should go. He said you should go. Yeah, I'm not happy about it, but, but you, you should need go, to yeah. go. You know, and also the the key point was going. If we want a world where our son can can you know do what he wants, we need to you, you need, need to, to do, do this. this. Yeah. So it was kind of a I don't like it. But this is what you were here for, and you've, yeah. got, and you've got to use your powers. 
to do that. I mean, that's, I don't think that's a... I think that was quite a nice little character. No, it is. I just, yeah, I just obviously have forgotten so much stuff because I saw it in the cinema. <laughs> but you saw it the other day and it's like, it's not... Yeah, it's fresh in my mind. I've only seen it once, but I'll have to watch it again. I think maybe you should. But yeah, just that bit. I think maybe I switched up. I don't know. Um, but I did obviously enjoy the fact that they were. he was the first gay... Well, superhero slash character yeah, in yeah. the MCU. And they had a kiss. Which yeah. I was actually surprised about. I, I was surprised too. So I was like, oh, they're just going to hug. I was like, oh no, they kissed. <laughs> I did like his representation of his powers, actually. I did too. There was a really clever way of doing it with like blueprints and... His and Thena, I think, were probably my favourite visually. Yeah. Because we didn't say about Kinga, but he can just fire... Energy bolts with like finger guns. So it's, it is kind of finger it was guns. A, it was a choice. Yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of a weird. Yeah, it looked a bit silly. Yeah, <laughs> in my opinion, it just like like when you're like five and you're playing like you know cowboys or whatever. Yeah, when you, have, when you haven't got a toy gun, so yeah. you have to use your fingers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just seemed like it was no choice, but I felt like maybe they did that to keep it different from other people because Icarus could fire like I beams. I don't know, yeah, yeah, but you could make it look a little bit more powerful than you that. You could. It was just like balls as well, wasn't it, on the end yeah. of the fingers? It was a bit... <laughs> it's very right. Maybe that's why he left, because like, I can't do anything so, here. Like, no point. <laughs> it just look ridiculous. Um, but briefly, we should probably speak about the Deviants, who I felt were just non-characters. Oh, my God. Who, I don't, was he called Grow or something? Or... Crow? See what I mean? It was just this guy who... So, basically, the Deviants can absorb the powers of the Eternals... Or this one can, yeah, and take on that power to use it. So yeah. when he killed Ajax, he can heal himself. Yeah, but that seemed to make him into a talking deviant. Well, if you see when there's, there's the flashback where Ajax is killed by them, yeah, they look, and like, he, they look like wolves. Yeah, because obviously that's what, that's what they've been killing is wolves. Yes, they then kill Ajax, absorbs from Ajax, so, so they he become a, like a they new... become a little bit more human looking. Yeah. Oh, it's after he kills Gilgamesh, he sort of becomes that. Yeah, so the more, you know, Eternals he can kill, Hmm. the more humanoid he becomes. That's right. But of course, we still don't... You don't even get his name mentioned. No. In the film. And played by Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, that was a waste. Complete waste. You know? Yeah. To be fair, he wasn't even the enemy. He was just there for... I think he was there for, like, Thena's... Yeah, the enemy... Because the Deviants were really a false enemy. Yeah. The enemy was essentially Icarus. And the Celestial. And well. the Celestial. But actually, the Deviants were kind of a bit of a red herring, really. Yeah. I think it's because in the comics they are the enemies of the Eternals. Yeah. And they are actually of course. characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, in Neil Gaiman's, uh, there's like a whole kind of culture that they have. They have this mm. whole society. They don't even like the word Deviants. No. Um, but they're their own people and their I think, own. Do you probably, mean? I think didn't they want to be called changing people or something? I think something like that. Something like that. If they didn't like the term deviant, it was a bit yeah. too uh, negative. I don't mind the fact that it's an unconventional enemy. It's part of the thing I liked about Falcon and Winter Soldier, mm. which I was talking to you about, is that Carly, yeah. she is not really the villain. The villain is actually the ideology. It's not the yeah. character. And it's the same with the Eternals. Their enemy, their mortal enemy, is. The deviants, yeah, but the deviants in this case aren't actually the enemies. So I don't mind an unconventional villain. No, I, I didn't mind that, and I, I do think that maybe it's something they could build upon and actually make characters out of it like, later down the line. Yeah, who knows? Arisham as a character didn't mind, but design-wise, they kind of I wasn't quite as keen on the actual kind of very slender, kind of almost organic-looking. 
it lost. Oh, the, I, wanted, yeah. I wanted a bit more Jack Kirby. I miss the Jack Kirby stuff. I feel that that is the that's the Celestials, and that's what you should stick to. Um, there is a thing called the Unimind. Yes. Which again is different from the comics. Yeah. Fastest create this thing where they wear bracelets, where they can all unite and use their cosmic power because they realize the power that the uh, Sentinels, God, the power the Celestials gave them was basically just a piece of the cosmos, like cosmic power. And because it was in them, they were able to unite and stop the Celestials from emerging because they are basically of the Celestials. Yes. Yeah, so that happens, and then they all unite, and then they... Cersei uses her powers, which is she can turn one thing into another thing. Yes. But she can never do it on organic life, or things that are living. That's what she says. Yeah, but then she manages to do it to a deviant. Yeah. Which is where... And then they realise, wait a minute, there's something here she's never done before, why is this happening? Yeah, so the plan is, ultimately, is to try and do that same thing... But on a massive scale. On a massive scale to the Celestial. Which is why they need the Union Mind to unite and help her do that. And it works. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Icarus also gets dragged into it. Yeah. But Kingo doesn't. No, I thought that too. I thought he would have been seen elsewhere using the whole, like, look of the Union Mind and he'd be part of them as well, but didn't happen. No. But then we get to the end, which is because of the Union Mind... And having the power of the slashes in them, Cersei does offer to Sprite to turn her into a human. Yes. So she can live her life and become an adult and yeah. live and love and, and die. Which she goes for. Which she does, yeah. Which I like at the end. I like the fact that she has to go to school now. No, which I, which I, I think is quite funny. And yeah. quite a nice, again, a bit of good character there yeah. that I quite liked. But before I get on to, or we get on to the ending and the credit scenes, I would like to talk about... My favourite character, only because I like, I know about this character, and also I'm excited to see where it goes, but I really like Kit Harrington as Dane. I did too. And I felt that it was nice to see him be someone else than Jon Snow. But he was he was given, like, this character where he could be quite funny and charming. Yeah. And I liked... I liked him as a character. I did and too. I'm excited to see what he does with his character, where it goes. Well, I thought he kind of had a bit of... Um of a certain star quality, which was really nice. So it felt yeah. like he could really fit in as a quite a strong character. Yeah. Rather than seeming that kind of, oh, that one from TV. It was actually, I felt yeah, like yeah. he was really kind of... I'm sure. I do apologise, but Alexa <laughs> has decided to start talking. Just get involved, yeah. Completely uninvited. Um, what was going to say? Oh, yeah, so with, with Kit Haring's character as well, what, what was going on with Cersei and the Eternals? Actually pushed his character into where he's going to be. And I quite liked how, at the end, um, Dane is about to say, like, well, you know, my family's got weird things going on as well. And then, obviously, Arishan becomes this thing in the sky. Which, actually, I thought was really cool. It looked really cool. Really cool. To me, I was thinking to myself, everybody's seeing that, right? Yeah, but they are. But that's why I liked it. Yeah, so I imagine that'll that'll come up in future films. Do you see that thing in the sky? If you don't already know who Dane Whitman is, Dane Whitman will become the Black Knight. Yep who is a really prominent figure in uh, Marvel and was an Avenger at one point, which I hope to God that he will be again. Well, he's a legacy character, isn't he? Yeah. So the original was Sir Percy from Arthurian legend. Yeah. And then the the sword basically uh, gives him uh, more magical abilities, makes him stronger, faster, that kind of stuff, but yeah. also is cursed. Yeah. So the more people he kills, the more crazy he goes. Yeah. But, um, and then, I think it was the 70s, was it, where... 
there was the Black Knight who actually fought the Avengers, I believe. Yeah. And then his nephew, which is Dane, gets the sword and becomes a hero. Yeah. Because he's the only one that can kind of control the the murderous urges and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is probably where you've got that separation from him and his family. Yeah. Backstory because of that kind of... And he's very nervous about touching the sword because he can't he must know about it the way he's acting about it is like oh my he god must what know do i do it, yeah and i did like how there were like whispers from the sword and it was kind of moving yeah i quite like that but it kind of made me think of again totally off topic but it kind of made me think of null with the necro sword yeah so i don't know if that's going to be a thing and obviously this is the scene we get at the end of the credits yes where he's about he opens the box we see the sword and then and a then voice a voice at the end going are you sure you want to touch them it's yeah cool. and then off it goes. Yeah. And again, I was like, who is that? I don't recognise that voice because I've never heard his voice because it's Blade. Yeah. Which is, again, exciting. Which really I think exciting. they might make him British, which he's meant to be. Who, Blade? Yeah. Well, he had an American accent in that bit. No, but it might be actually like from Britain, but then he went to America. Oh. So that's why he's there. I just think having Blade British is going to be really cool, but obviously... But he won't be Blade British if he's got American accent. No, what I'm trying to say is like he's a British character. I get I was that. hoping no, no, no. that maybe he would I, have links to I it. I get that. That's what I was trying but to say. But he will come across as an American character. Yeah, Because know. he's got an American accent. I just... I don't know. Either way, I don't really mind, to be honest, what accent he has. I'm quite excited that Blade's going to be in it. And I'm quite excited that, of the link already with, with Dane. Because, mm. again, it kind of... It puts us into this slightly more magical side of yeah. Marvel, which also helps us get closer and closer to Captain Britain. It does. Who might be Henry Cavill, but that's been rumoured for so long now. They always say that. Yeah. I personally don't know how they're going to go about this, but I do I... feel that they will do an MCU twist on it. Yeah. Because, if people don't know, Captain Britain is uh, basically our Captain America. Yeah. But originally he was more magical. Yes. His magic is more sort of to do with strength, speed, he can fly, but it's linked to the British Isles. So if he goes away from the British Isles, that kind of dwindles. Yeah. I think they changed that. I think they changed that. I think they have now. Yeah. They must have done. So Captain Britain's powers were initially uh, all to do with Merlin. It's mm-hmm. all very rooted in Arthurian legend. And Roma? Yeah. Is it Roma? Also randomly the X-Men connection, but I'm not sure they're going to do that. Obviously, Brian Braddock, who is Captain Britain, is Psylocke, Betsy Braddock's twin. Yeah. Who isn't a mutant. Betsy is, even though they're twins. Yes. Which I always found a bit strange, because I thought his powers might have been more activating his mutant powers, but now it's definitely just magic. No, he's just, he's just a human being yeah. without any mutation or anything. Yeah, he's just magical conduit. Um, but I've always loved Captain <clears throat> Britain anyway as a character. Yeah, he, me too. There's this, you know, if you've ever read the Alan Moore run of... Captain Britain. With, like, Mad Jim Jaspers and things like that. Yeah. And actually, it's a good run. It's a great run. And actually, Captain Britain is not very good as a superhero. <laughs> he's a bit no. he's a bit drunk. He's a bit stupid. He's a bit of an alcoholic and he's a bit... He's a bit... I, I he's, guess, a, he's a bit clueless. He is, yeah. He's kind of... I don't know what you could... Would you compare him maybe to, like, he's kind of like a British version, like an American frat boy? A bit privileged. Oh yeah. Well, he's you know, his parent. Well, his dad was a famous scientist, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but then you know, I, I do like the fact that Brian is still around now. Yeah. In the, in, in uh, the Marvel comics, especially now that um, Betsy is Captain Britain, so that kind of thing is that connection. There was also uh, a very very brief mention, which is yeah, you know, really blink and you'll miss it mm. in Endgame, where Steve goes back yes. in time and Peggy's talking about Braddock. Yeah. Yeah. 
I did notice that. So, so that could be their dad. Could well be. Yeah. Scientist, obviously, working for S.H.I.E.L.D., that makes sense. Yep. In the 70s. Brian, so many Brian would be about, you know, the right age now. Yeah. I, you know, perhaps an unpopular opinion, but I don't really want Henry Cavill to be him. No, I feel like Henry Cavill, I think people are just looking at him because, obviously... He's British and he's a superhero. He's British. He, we both think, was a great Superman. He was he's a, great, he's a great Superman, I, I, I would say. I, I honestly, for me, Christopher Reeve was great, do not get me wrong. Mm-hmm. However, in terms of actual, really comic book accurate, really looking like that on the page in real life, yeah. Henry Cavill is, is Superman in a way that no other actor has ever played him before. And I do think that Warner Brothers are just sleeping on him and not giving him his due, basically. Warner Brothers are doing some very odd things yeah. in the DC films, and I don't quite, I cannot work it out whatsoever what they're trying to do but it all, all it does is look like they're shooting themselves in the face yeah but Henry Cavill is an amazing Superman I kind of like someone new I just don't want to keep seeing yeah. the same faces all the time I'd quite like somebody new and I'm sure we've got there's a lot actors. of good British actors out there that could easily be Captain Britain exactly I don't think we need to have Henry Cavill as our only superhero no. actor and then there's other there's other um, characters as well that are British that I do feel more than deserve their time in the MCU be them again a lot of them, I suppose, are linked to like the mutants and things like that, which we yeah. don't know how that's going to go at the moment. So, well, because Captain Britain was heading Excalibur, which is the UK version of X Men, essentially. Basically, yeah. Basically, it was a you know a mutant super team. Nightcrawler was part of Excalibur for Nightcrawler, a while. Nightcrawler, Kitty, Rachel, yeah, Megan, who is Captain Britain's wife, yeah, um, who is a mutant but also a fairy. She's a fair, a fae mutant, sorry, yeah. a fairy, so she can. I've always liked Megan, actually. I don't know why. I was imagine having like a Welsh accent. I don't know why. <laughs> Is there anything to indicate that she had a Welsh accent? No, I think the way that she speaks sometimes, she's got um, that kind of Americanized British speak. Yeah, there is. Well, like uh, actually, Brian does it a lot. Where he's like, "Hello, love." Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we will see what there goes was a, on. There was, there was a bit of that. Um, it's the only thing... I, I love Excalibur, but there is a lot of kind of Americanized version of, of Britain that yeah. doesn't really exist, but apparently it does there. Yeah. Um, not saying anything bad against Chris Claremont, because... Uh, he, I, I love he was astoundingly good for X Men, and he was, uh, you know, amazing to 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 be on Excalibur. Because oh God, yeah. Who else could bring it to, you know, to Marvel than than? I him? mean, the man that reinvented the X Men is obviously. Exactly. I mean, actually, I suppose you could probably, probably give that to is it Len Wine who yeah. wrote uh, Giant Size X Men. Yeah, and then obviously Chris Claremont. I mean, Chris was born in the UK. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? But he grew up mostly in America, so of course he has that link to the UK, which I think makes him quite well suited to, to write Excalibur, mm. but he's still got enough of that American speak that it still sounds a little bit of like a false yeah. vision of the UK. Anyway, anyway, we're slightly deviating. We are. Um, uh, before we finish on the Eternals, I would like to speak about the mid credit scene finally. Makari... Oh, God, I'm getting so confused. Makari... Makari, Drig, and... Thena. Thena are back on their ship. Yeah. And they are... Trying to find out about more Eternals because they believe there are more people like them out there. Yeah. Um, this is after, sorry, Phaestos, uh, Kingo, and Cersei get abducted basically from Earth for yeah. their role in stopping the birth of the Dreaming Celestial. Yeah, Arisham appears in the sky, is very, very angry. Mm-hmm. 
he takes the Eternals that are on Earth still, and then also says he will come back to enact judgment. Because he's going to read their memories, isn't he, to see if they yeah. deserve to live, basically. So he takes them. Yep. Uh, Arishim disappears from the sky. Everyone's seen it. Oh, my God. And then we go to the Eternal ship, which mm-hmm. is very well designed, by the way. I love the look of it. I like how uh, Makara's been living on there by yeah. herself. Yeah. Just reading books and yeah, yeah. speeding off, collecting more stuff to so, read. Yeah. yeah, so Makari, Druig, and Thena, who... Thena is now very well at this point. Now she's kind of... Yeah. She's she's very much... She's realised what was going on. And, yeah. yeah. So she's yeah. a bit more together with it now, and it's quite nice. Yeah. So she's kind of... I guess it feels like she's leading them a little bit, which is quite... She does feel more of a leader than the other two. Yeah. So they're on the ship. Then... We have a portal open. And out comes, who I recognise instantly, was Pip the Troll. Yeah. Which, who I remember mostly from X Factor. Yeah. He comes out and announces the the Prince of Titan. Yeah, brother of Thanos. Brother of Thanos. Um, And it's Eros, who... Also known as Star Fox. Star Fox, yeah, who... Powers we'll get into in a sec. Yeah. Um, and being played by someone who I thought I would hate seeing, but I actually didn't mind it. Harry Styles. Yeah. Yeah. He I actually liked it. Yeah. So I know you're not a fan of SNL. No, but not at all. I do like it a lot. And he has hosted that and he was very funny. Right. So I, I like him more now that I've seen him sort of be himself. I don't really just have anything like personal against him at all. And actually he was very good in Dunkirk. I haven't seen Dunkirk. Yet. It's very good. I've heard it's good. It's very, yeah. very good. He's not in it loads, but he's in it enough to, you know, you know that it's Harry Styles. Uh, he arrives and announces himself. He seems a bit up himself, which is very... Very Stark. Eros, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, very Caddish. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with him. Yeah. He too. looked... I liked his outfit as well. He looked very... It was a nice way to do his outfit. Comic accurate yeah. without it being... Because that outfit is a bit weird in the comics. Yeah. But, um... Briefly, his powers are basically, shall we say, seduction? Yeah. Or, like, making people fall in Basically, there's a grey area where he's done some stuff and people are like, did they do it of their own volition or did yeah. he make them do it? A little bit rapey. Yeah. A little bit rapey. I believe She-Hulk is the one that he does it to as well. I think it is She-Hulk. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, you know, is that really surprising? His name's Eros. It was always going to be. I mean, um, you know. Interesting that they went down this route. Yeah, because obviously he announced himself as, uh, well, he's he's announced by Pip the Troll as Thanos's brother, mm-hmm. which gets a reaction from the remaining Eternals because obviously they all know who Thanos is. Yeah. Now, for anyone who's not particularly aware of Star Fox in general, yes, he is Thanos's brother in the comics. Mm-hmm. No, they don't look alike. No, because Thanos is a mutant of his race. Yeah. See, this uh, is the thing I wasn't really... I was convinced they weren't going to touch on the fact that Thanos is supposed to be an Eternal as well. Thanos inherits a deviant gene. Yes. Which is why Thanos is bigger, stronger, mm-hmm. more purple. Very purple. Um, <laughs> you know, has the kind of, you know, the, the the lines on the chin and the grooves in his face yep. and everything. That's the reason why he looks the way he does. He doesn't look like your average titan. No. Whereas which is why Fox, when he is born, his mother tries to kill him. Yes. Which I think his father stops her by maybe killing her. I can't remember. Star Fox, <clears throat> on the other hand, does not inherit that gene. He is very much pure, you know, eternal uh, as intended. So... Mm-hmm. 
I, I'm more intrigued about the characters that weren't main characters and see where that goes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only one that I actually really did like, which is the one that I wasn't expecting to, was Thena. Yeah, which I, I think helps because she was Angela Jolie, kind of. Well, no, because that's the sort of thing that would put me off. Really? Because yeah. I felt like she brought quite a regal she did, sense yeah, to it. But that's why I normally... Uh, when you've got certain actors who are always kind of have this higher status hmm. that basically as soon as they get cast in something it's like they have to have the main role they have to have a, which is why yeah. I liked her so much because she didn't do what I thought she was going to do she didn't become this main character she didn't become the headliner of the film no she was one of a cast yeah and actually that's what I really liked as soon as someone's built like that I mean I haven't seen enough films with Angelina Jolie that I've liked to particularly like her anyway I mean, to be fair, for me, it's mostly just Lara Croft. The first one, I think she's great. I don't think she is. I, but then, you know, you hate Todd McGuire's Spider-Man. I don't, but you do. I do. <laughs> As we had this conversation before, after No Way Home, it's yeah. like, I was excited to see everyone. You were just like, why is Todd McGuire? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I completely get why he was there. Actually, when he did appear through the portal, I was really excited. And then he opened his mouth and I wasn't. Unfortunately, he just has... There's something about his version of Peter Parker that I just do not like. I would say that Peter Parker... Sorry, Peter Parker. Um, Tom McGuire is a better Peter Parker well, than a Spider-Man. See... And I see the flip side round for Andrew Garfield, but not the first film, because I think he's a bit of a knobhead in the first film. And the second film, he's more like Spider-Man. Okay. But well, again, this is off... No, 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 it is off topic, but we need to talk about it now because okay, you've raised okay. it. Sorry, you can't sorry. Just, you've raised it, you can't shut me up now. Oh, I need okay, to say right. it. Go on, go on. Now, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, Spider Man, whatever, yes. is the most comic faithful. And when I say that, what I actually mean is not in terms of performance, in terms of like setup. Mm-hmm. He's got an old Aunt May. Yep. He's got. The kind of he's he's very much a geek. He's not particularly you know. He hasn't got loads of friends. He's he's you know, not popular. He's not popular. Even the geeks don't want him to turn. Yeah, it's a bit weird. It's the high school is very much a kind of hierarchical kind of mm. um, type of place. It's actually kind of got all of the key Spider-Man ingredients. Yeah. However, what I will say is, although it's the closest probably to sixty Spider-Man you can get on film. Mm-hmm. I also feel like his Peter Parker is a lot more depressing to watch than Peter Parker in the 60s comics is to read. Peter Parker has always been a bit of a... He's always been a geek. Yeah. He's always been, you know, a bit, you know, outside of the the popular window. Mm. However, I feel like they just kind of pushed it just a little bit too far. So Peter Parker with Tobey Maguire was this kind of loser. He's a geek. But not a loser. In my eyes, I've always seen Peter Parker as being a geek, but yeah. not quite so far as being a loser with absolutely no friends, no life, no hope, no nothing. Well, the way I, I just kind it. of felt like that was pushing it too far, and actually, it was just really depressing as a character. It just felt like, oh god, really? It's more gloom and doom, and I just didn't really see. For me, I felt like he was. Like you say, obviously, I think Sam Raimi's a massive fan of the 60s Spider-Man, yeah. obviously, because of all the villains that he uses. But um, I do think that whilst Peter Parker, yeah, he has a bit of a rough time in the films, he does go, go through quite a lot. Um, I do feel like... <sighs> I don't mind it. Like I, I like Tobey Maguire 
Only really in that, I think everything else I've seen him in, I don't really like him in it. But I think because I saw him as, like, I suppose, my Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, I just like his portrayal of this outcast who still does what he needs to do because he believes in saving people and being the friendly neighbor of Spider-Man, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The one thing I think that where he falls flat is the relationship he has with Mary Jane. I feel like that, it's never a good relationship at any point. No. But and it... I think all these obstacles they throw in the way of Peter Parker, yeah, I agree. Like in Spider-Man 2, that bit. For instance, when he's at the um, the party where uh, Jonas Sund announced they're going to marry MJ. Yeah. And he's just getting slapped. It's like drinks getting knocked to me. I, I feel like that is very much... And then the landlord that he has as well. Yeah. It is like, what more can we throw at him to make his life terrible? Yeah, and it's like, okay, we get it. Does I, I get that. See, I was very much... The, the comics that I read the most before the film came out mm. were very much more like the 60s style stuff. Yeah. Um, most of the stuff I have is 60s to 80s kind of Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. So a lot of it is based on that. And also the animated series of the early 90s also came out. Spider-Man in both of those is quite... He's quite hip. Yeah, I will say... I say hip because it's a very 60s kind of town. Because actually, yeah. in the 60s, Peter Parker is very hip. He gets a motorbike. That's very hip at that time. Well, Peter Parker know. in the comics does have a circle of friends. Yeah. He does and have he's... people that he relates to. And... Exactly. And yeah. I feel like that just... In the, in the Sam Raimi films, it just... That, if that bit had been there, if that ingredient had been there, it would have probably changed my whole experience of that film. I get that. I but mean, I get that. All, he I, does... all I see really is a very, very depressed human being. He does get a lot of crap in those Who films. doesn't also, he also doesn't really have much of a, I don't know, he doesn't seem to have much of a good time as Spider-Man either. He just kind of, his Spider-Man doesn't have that wise-cracking kind of ease that he does in the comics or, you know. I kind of think, though, that... <sighs> Do you, mm, I don't think Tom Maguire has that as Spider-Man. I don't think no. he's wisecracking when he should be, because that's Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, but then I think Andrew Garfield is too much that way, where he's sort of just... Like the bit at the beginning of Amazing Spider-Man 2, where he's trying to stop the rhino before it yeah. becomes like the rhino. That that truck, while he's wisecracking, attracts crashing so many cars and probably kills like tens of hundreds of, yeah, that tens is of true. people that is true but he's still like hey I'm Spider-Man the films like, I don't think the films the amazing Spider-Man films are okay I quite enjoy watching them but I don't really love the films yeah. however I have always loved Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man because I thought he was great I just wish that his films had been better to support that but actually I really enjoy his Spider-Man and the wisecracking mm. that he does I actually much more enjoy his Peter Parker because his Peter Parker is more like 60s Peter Parker. I guess, but I think he just looks too... It looks like a model. I don't see that, to me... Like in, like in the like in the nice cartoon, Peter yeah. Parker isn't ugly or anything like that. He's, not, he's quite like... Yeah, like you say, he looks kind of attractive, but, you yeah. know, young man of... Look at the Daily Bugle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. I just think Andrew Garfield, as Peter Parker, doesn't really sell it to me as much. But I will say, he was fantastic in No Way Home. No Way Home was great. Like, I didn't think I would feel as happy at seeing him as yeah. I was. Personally, I felt that Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield completely outclassed Tobey Maguire. I feel I like did... Tobey Maguire really sunk to the back of the scenes when they were all together. Yeah, as um, much as I love Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, I did feel that 
when him and Garfield were in the conversation, Andrew Garfield had more of an energy about him. Andrew Garfield was more... Even he was like, I'm excited, I love you guys. It, but, you know also, I mean? it, but that also made it that when he did have his moments, you know, when they were in the lab and they were talking, yeah. and, and they, they ask about his, you know, do yeah. you have anyone back home? And he's very much like a, there's this really heartbroken expression in Andrew Garfield's eyes. Yeah. Goes, no. And yeah. It's, but it's still trying to do it with a smile. And that, for me, felt very Peter Parker-esque. It's very much... It was, but yeah. I'm trying to be happy... Things are really bad, but I'm being happy, and I'm sacrificing. And then Tom Holland as Spider-Man also does the same thing. He has to sacrifice mm. what he really loves, and that's that responsibility of Spider-Man. And yeah. I just I felt that more from those two than I did from Tobey Maguire. I just didn't really get I didn't really get anything new from Toby. I guess with um, yeah, with Andrew Garfield in that film, I did think that that portrayal of him, yeah outshone anything he did in the main Spider-Man film. Absolutely, yeah. Even just a little bit when he comes to the portal and MJ's like, prove it. Prove it you are. And he sticks the ceiling. Yeah, like, he goes, that's not enough. Yeah. It's more than enough. Yeah. It, just those little it's bits. Great, yeah, great but then scene. I feel maybe that's got more sort of probably to do with the director and the writer probably knowing more what to do with them. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. It might just be better, you know, better directing. Um, but I do think as well with Tom McGuire, just come across that he's a much older version as well. Of course, which, you know, he... Which makes sense. There's, there's no like, denying that. But yeah. I, just, I just felt like there wasn't quite as much of a... I don't know. I got a real kind of spark of excitement when um, Garfield took his mask off. Mm. And I didn't really quite get that when Toby came through the portal. I think what they did with Toby as well when they made him appear in the street clothes, yeah. you're kind of thinking, oh, he's not Spider-Man. Yeah. But then obviously he's got it underneath his shirt. Sure. Which is cool. But like, yeah. So I, I loved all three of them. And I get where you're coming from with Toby McGuire. I do feel that sometimes in his, the way he speaks can be quite monotone. And there's not a lot of differentiation with his speech. But I I did enjoy him when he was just having a conversation. Did you ever Did you ever play the Spider Man Two PS Two game? Yeah, I was obsessed with it. Yeah, oh, I oh, had he's, it. He's awful in that. I turned off the sound <laughs> so, that, because it so, was so irritating. All, I all of those games that he's in, I he could is not, horrible. I just could not listen to it's his horrible. voice anymore. It was going on and on, and I just like I have to do something. No, about like it. in in Spider Man Two, uh, the PS Two game. Which I would recommend to anyone to play. Admittedly, now it probably is quite dated. Oh, God, yeah, it will be. I kind of want to go back and play it, but I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it. But the lines they give him, and he is just sleepwalking through that whole thing. Yeah. Like, Alfred Molina's in it as well, but he's fine. He's fine in it. Yeah. But, oh, again, again, he was great. He was so, great. Again, I, can't, I can't praise the Raimi villains enough, let's put it that way. Oh, no, really good, really good. Yeah. Apart from Venom. But then he wasn't there, so. No, he wasn't, which is good. Yeah. Because they had, obviously, other things to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I know we've deviated slightly yeah. from Eternals to talk about Spider-Man, but we didn't actually get to do a Spider-Man podcast, so... We didn't, There's no. a little bit of No Way Home feedback there. Yeah. Obviously, we were actually more excited about that than we were about Eternals. Yes, Because, yes. you know... Oh, uh, before we go, though, two yeah. words. What's that? Charlie Cox. Leave it at that. Uh, yeah, Charlie... <laughs> screen time. Amazing. Stole the show. Stole the show. <laughs> and as we're on that subject, Hawkeye... Again. Vincent D'Onofrio. Yep. Kingpin is back. He is back. I'm very excited. I know what happens in it, obviously, and it looks like he's dead, but he obviously won't be. There's no point bringing him back. There's no point bringing that man back (laughs) again. So, yeah, very exciting times moving ahead. I'm quite looking forward to what happens. Very much so. Um, So, yeah, I think we've probably covered everything. Basically, Eternals was, it was all right, wasn't great, 
it didn't really necessarily feel like it fit in as an MCU film, and it nope. looked visually a little bit dreary to me. And we love the side characters even characters even more than the actual main characters. I would watch it again more for the side characters than I would the main characters. The yeah. only Eternal that I actually really enjoyed watching was Thena because she actually had quite an interesting story. Yep, uh, I liked the what she was going through personally, mm-hmm. and. Because it was the biggest surprise to me, because I really didn't think that I was going to be that fond of an Angelina Jolie character. Well, I think Thena and uh, Fastos, Fastos, I can never say his name right. He, they were the two characters. They were the two that I really enjoyed the most. Yeah, I would like to see more of them. Agreed. And I'm happy that it seems that they will bring them back. Yeah. Because obviously there's a lot of threads that are just dangling. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of those two. And who knows? And where they're going to be fitting into the MCU. Exactly, yeah. Uh, we've got new characters coming up it's all very exciting so although Eternals itself as a film on its own was perhaps a bit of a disappointment Mm. for me it's certainly not one I've enjoyed more than I'm trying to think that might be the one I've enjoyed the least lately actually I'm trying to think off the top of my head the ones that I would put at the bottom well if we just talk talk about Phase 4 for a minute Mm -hmm. um, I would say Eternals is probably the weakest Oh, oh, definitely. It's the one I enjoyed the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've actually enjoyed pretty much all of the others in their own way. Some yeah. are better than others, but I've enjoyed pretty much all of them in their own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, let me see. I, I, I really... Oh, what If as well. I don't particularly enjoy What If all that much. It's all right, but it's it gets a bit tedious. There were some episodes, that, like I said to you before, where I was like, oh, what if like Doctor Strange kept trying to make his... Um, so when his love died, can't remember her name is Rachel McAdams. What's the character called? Christine. Thank you. Um, when she obviously died in that world, and he was trying to bring it back, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Interesting, cool. Looks like it's going to actually have an effect on other things. Yeah. But then you've got other episodes where it's like, what if Thor was an only child? It's like, yeah, this isn't. I, I just. This is just Thor from Thor One. What if is a great concept, but for me, that concept gets very tedious after about five minutes because actually, it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. I don't yeah. really feel that invested because it is only a hypothetical situation, and I don't find yeah. it, I don't find that particularly gripping. But as we thought as well, it would ne- we thought it would have no effect on the MCU, but. Judging by... Judging by the... Multiverse, Do- yeah. yeah. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness trailer, it looks like that does... You know what's happening there, yeah. yeah. That is very exciting, and that is the one I'm really, really looking forward to, actually. And it comes out my birthday. Does it? Yeah. Oh, we'll go see it for your birthday. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will be back next week. We will, yes. Uh, I can't remember what we're talking about next week, but we're talking about something. I'm sure we'll figure out. We'll, have to, we'll yeah. come up with something. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you for joining us, if you've been listening, uh, and we will see you next week. Make sure you follow us on all the social media things under Nuff Said Nerds. All the things, yeah. All the things. Follow us on all the things. Uh, <laughs> we are available on multiple streaming platforms, including Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We should be everywhere. All um, the big ones. All the, all the things. <laughs> just, yeah, just follow us on all the things. Let's not listen. Listen on all the things. Listen to it like five, six times, maybe. <laughs> so, yes, thank you, everyone. Uh, enough said. Enough said.